Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Luke chapter 20 and verse 27 to 40. It's the account where some Sadducees come to Jesus and ask this particular question. So I'm going to read this passage now. There came to him some Sadducees who deny that there is a resurrection and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And the second and the third took her. And likewise all seven left no children and died. Afterward the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as a wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who have considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he's not the God of the dead but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any question. This is God's word. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we uh, come very much as uh, humbly as a people who don't measure up to your standards, but we know one who has. And we know, Lord, as a church, we are struggling. We, in a sense, are divided in certain ways. There's people here and people there. And we know, Lord, that we, we want to be one. We desire to be one. We would love to be together. But it's difficult in these times. And just as Jesus prayed that they may be one as we are one, that's what we want And so, Lord, we pray you would work in the government, you would work in us to work in this way, that we would draw together, we would encourage one another, and more so as we see the day approaching. Forgive us for for when we struggle and we stray, and may we all exhibit the love that Christ exhibited towards us. In Jesus' name, amen. Why is the resurrection so important to us, you may ask? The major Christian creeds uh, going back over the centuries have a line and it goes like this, I believe in the resurrection of the body. But even these days, even in the days of Jesus, uh, when Jesus walked and talked in uh, those lands of Palestine, we see that many didn't believe in life after death or some had some vague idea that something was better after you die. 
And yes, we may say, oh, well, we know and they don't. But, you know, even religious people can get it wrong. We see that in this passage. And it is important to get right. And even Christians today have some skewed ideas of life after death and of the age to come. And so we want to examine this uh, this passage, this question that the Sadducees ask of Jesus and see that there are a couple of aspects to Jesus' answer to these people, a couple of responses in a way. What can we learn here? Well, there's two things, as I said. Being raised to live with God, we become equal or like the angels, that life beyond this uh, life, the age to come, is very different. We are changed And secondly, that God is the God of the living. Life with God has some continuity with this life. Life goes on. And you might say, well, if Jesus only really needed to talk about one thing, that would have been enough. But he gave these two, and I think they're important to hold together. And I also, the third point I want to raise is that the importance, the whole importance of the resurrection for everyone. Three things. Understand that you will be changed. There is a, there's a radical change. We will be like the angels. Understand that the relationship with God goes on and with others. He is the God of the living and understand the importance for now, for us, for everyone, for the church as a witness and a hope in life. So firstly, Jesus says there is a difference between this age and that age to come. Please be careful We're not just talking about a place of earth or a place called heaven. That there are differences with our life now in our body and our life to come, in the age to come. Tremendous differences. In verse 27 to 33, though, we have this specific question asked by the Sadducees. It was a trap question. We can see that very clearly based on a provision in the law that goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 25. To understand that custom, you can go back there and read it for yourself. But let me explain. It was a custom of marriage to the brother-in-law. So where a man's brother uh, had died and with no children, he would be uh, encouraged to marry his widow, the brother's widow, and take care of her and give her children so that those children could carry on the name of the family. Now, that, that whole aim of that direction was for the family to remain intact, for the family to be supported. They didn't have welfare like we have. Uh, and in order that the property would remain that, with the family... And we have many examples in scripture of this. One of the most well-known ones, of course, is Ruth and Naomi. Uh, Ruth married Boaz and Boaz became the kinsman redeemer. He redeemed uh, Naomi and Ruth from a, a life that was pretty hard and pretty horrible without any prospect for the future. And, of course, it all points forward to the ultimate kinsman redeemer, who is Jesus He is our kinsman and he redeems us. And of course the story also has direct links. Uh, The son of Ruth and uh, Boaz was Obed and he was the grandfather of King David whose descendants became the descendants of Mary 
and Joseph. So here are the Sadducees asking this, uh, giving this scenario, a very ridiculous scenario. Imagine uh, if you were the woman and you married one and then you married another and eventually you had seven husbands but no children. Finally, mercifully, the woman dies. And um, do you see how they sought to trap him? They didn't believe in the resurrection, but they're asking a question about the resurrection. And they presumed that the world to come was a materialistic way that we have today. That if people are raised from the dead, that things don't change. That marriage goes on and monogamy, a marriage to one person, is is uh, there, is the ideal. How could anyone possibly untangle that sort of mess, married to seven men? Who would be number one in the life to come? That was their thinking. And to them, it was probably a pretty open and shut case, this scenario. The ideal of life after death is really absurd, they were probably thinking. And how could Jesus get out of this one? Well, Jesus' response is seen in verse 34 to 36. Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection of the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore. They're like the angels and are sons of God and sons of the resurrection. Bottom line, in the age to come, there is no marriage going on. People neither marry or are given in marriage. There's a big change. They're the sons of the resurrection. And for Christians who are married, this might come as a bit of a shock, as a bit of a a sort of, ooh, uh, what's going on here? There's a bit of a disappointment. In the age to come, there's no marriage. Does that mean that What's going to happen to my marriage? And many husbands and wives find it hard to imagine that that's going to be what life's like. That their marriage won't last forever. That's what they might think. How are we to understand this? Well, let me tell you. It doesn't mean that husbands and wives are separated. It means that there's a greater joy, a joy of being in the presence of the Lord. And that's the main thing. It means that marriage is an earthly reality and in heaven we're transformed. Marriage in that sense doesn't exist. It's not going to happen. People aren't going to get married or be given in marriage. We can't die anymore because we'll be like the angels. We're finally fit to live, as Gabby was sort of referring to, we're finally fit to live with our true husband who is Jesus. And the intimacy and the joy and the union that we can, we can experience is far, far greater than what we sort of experience in this life. There's a symbol in marriage of the reality of the life to come that we'll experience in glory. And our union, our, our, the joy that husbands and wives get in their marriage will be far, far greater, will be multiplied to the, to, to the degree we can't hardly imagine. We experience the closeness that is beyond us here and now. 
Now, of course, for Christians who are single, this should also speak to you that sanctified singleness is probably better than discontented marriage. It's a truth that should be precious to singles and those who suffer broken marriages that you can tear yourself up about not being married in this life. You can put a great emphasis on the importance of being married, maybe too much emphasis. And doing that can crush the joy that you can have in this life now with God. The big idea here, see, look at the scope of eternity. Marriage is not the be-all and end-all of human existence. And even under the best circumstances, it's a temporary institution because when we're with the Lord, it will be far, far more uh, wonderful an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, we'll find our full satisfaction in him. It'll be truly, with Jesus Christ, a marriage, a match made in heaven. And at the same time, let's affirm, let's everyone affirm that marriage is the basic relationship of human love. It's a building block of human society. And yes, it's under attack very much so today. And for that reason, it needs special support. And it goes right back to Genesis, yes, to the very beginning. God created us, male and female, to reflect his his nature, his character, to reflect uh, his authority and that we are to rule over creation under his rule. And yes, there is a little command there that we are to be fruitful and multiply and that we can do. But... Straight away, these words seem to imply that, well, you know, it's all about making babies and all about having babies and raising children. And, and we see how perverse society gets, don't we, and how it's sexualized and selling sex and dressing up to please others to, and how important it is to have all this great appearance so that the, other, the opposite sex can be attracted to us some way or other. And of course, there are differences between male and female. But fruitfulness also is about fruitfulness. Just as there's one tree, we can produce many fruit from that one tree. And fruitfulness is about relationship with God, that we're given abilities and characteristics to bear his image in the life that we live here and now. And so the purposes of matrimony, as Paul points out, it's a profound mystery. It's not just an end in itself, but it refers to Christ and the church. So right now, whether you're married or you're not, what does this great change mean for you, mean for us? Well, I see a couple of implications drawn out from this passage. This great change... Uh, from the body we have now to the body we'll have in the age to come. You know, we read in 1 Corinthians 15.54 that your perishable body will become imperishable and become immortal. Death is swallowed up in victory. And in Romans 18, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will come in the age come. It will be revealed to us. It's a miraculous change. It's a stupendous change that's going to happen. And C.S. Lewis uh, 
in his writings, wrote a particular little essay called Miracles. And I think it's helpful that what he does there is he characterises the miracles into a couple of sorts. Uh, He talked of the old creation miracles and the new creation miracles. Now, the old creation miracles are the miracles that uh, change uh, nature or or, uh, provide food or healing. And so we see Jesus calming the storm. Uh, We see Jesus feeding 5,000 people. We see Jesus healing lepers and healing people who have been invalid all their lives, healing the blind. But there are also miracles of the new creation. And these are in some way different from those other miracles of the old creation. It's a reversal of creation, of the order. And so we see Jesus raising the dead, raising uh, the widow's son, raising Lazarus. We see Peter, just for a brief moment, walking on the water until he looked down. And we see the transfiguration of Jesus in all his glory. We see Jesus rising from the dead. We see Jesus ascending back uh, beyond our vision and our sight. These are miracles of the new creation, C.S. Lewis points out. It's like the first flowers that we may see, and we're still in winter, but they give us an indication that there's some radical change, some blossoming going on that will bring in a, a completely new season. And the new nature shows that the body is a body, uh, yes, of life, but life will, will expand and grow and, and be so much more beautiful in the life to come. That we understand there's dimensions of space and time now, but in eternity, when, in the age when we're immortal, imperishable, will be so much grander when we're complete in Christ. We are new creations, as Paul points out. The old has passed away, the new has come. The old nature is one with decay and frustration. Don't we know it? But the new, it's, it's quite hard to grasp what it will be like. Um, and the full reality of it. It's, C.S. Lewis said it's like a film being played backwards. Everything's going in reverse with our physical bodies. We're becoming, as newborn babies, so wonderful and so full of life. And we can just get a glimpse of this, a dim picture as we're looking into a glass that's darkened, Paul points out. Just imagine we're watching Peter walking on the water and, and wow, that's so different. Or just Lazarus walking out of the tomb. Wow, you know, he's alive. He's alive again. And, and Jesus said to the disciples in his resurrection appearances, touch me, put your hand where the spear pierced me, put your hand where the nails imprinted me. I'm not a ghost. He's a different, he has a different body, a resurrection body, a body empowered by the Spirit. And so what should we be doing now to, 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 to focus on, on this reality? Well, if you're a believer in the gospel, I think we need to keep talking about it, don't we? We need to, to remind ourselves that this is what's going to happen. We need to be thinking about what that really means in our life now. And on the one hand, it's so easy 
so easy to be comfortable and sit back and, and sort of get stuck in where we are now and the world's views and life now and, and we're driven by certain fears of the world around us. And, and, and it becomes like in the story of the Pilgrim's Progress, if you know John Bunyan's story, uh, that the Christian goes off the trail a, a bit and gets stuck in a great bog. It's called the Slough of Despond. And that's where many people, if they're grizzling and they're, they're moaning and there's nothing good in life anymore, that's probably where they're at. And it's so easy to get stuck and so difficult to escape from without the fellowship and the encouragement through Christ and, and, and through him who affects change in us. That's why we need each other. That's why we need to gather together and encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. It seems so easy to get stuck in the slough of despond. Like the old hymn goes, Abide with me, swift to its close about life's uh, little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay all around. I see. And it's because we're abiding in earth's joys or earth's sorrows that we can't get out of this situation. We're not allowing the Spirit of God to work in us and change us, that he would abide in us and help us through uh, those challenges where we're quenching the Spirit or grieving the Spirit. But even if we're still on the path, even on the right path in life, sometimes we find we're not moving forward. Sometimes we find that it's just hard to take that step. And again, C.S. Lewis brings a wonderful little analogy here when we, it seems like we're lacking faith or we're lacking hope or we're lacking love. We're fearful of failure. Uh, like children, little children, and they look at a great horse and they, and they want to ride that horse. They want to learn to ride. But the horse looks so big and they're so small. And it's a fearful thing to get on that horse. And so what does God do? God gives us a pony to learn. And these are like our bodies, the ponies. God gives us bodies in this life to serve him now. And he trusts us with these earthly bodies so that we can learn the riches of having spiritual bodies as well. And as you learn to management, manage those, those bodies, as you learn to uh, encourage one another in the faith, eventually you'll be galloping with the king. But then there are those who are watching and, and maybe you're there thinking, well, I'm not really a believer what is it to know this Christianity that you're talking about? It's hard for me to see this and hard for me to accept this, especially even if you're very educated. You know, there was uh, another particular man of a religious party that is talked about in John chapter 3. His name was Nick or Nicodemus. One of Israel's teachers he was and he didn't understand either. And Jesus had to explain to him, you can't see the kingdom. You can't realise it unless you're born again, unless the spirit works in you. Flesh gives birth to spirit and spirit gives birth 
to spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit, and understanding takes time. And so all I can say is keep seeking, keep asking questions that you may learn what the Bible is about, you may learn what the gospel is about, you may learn who Christ is and what Christianity is really about. The person and work of Christ is crucial to understanding this truth. And I've been talking about one aspect. Let me go on quickly onto the other aspect that Jesus brought up with the Sadducees. In verse 37 and 38, there's an equally significant point about the resurrection of the dead, that life continues on with God. There's a great change, but there's also a continuation. Moses showed it in the passage about the bush. Now, this is, this is really um, a masterstroke of Jesus. Here were these Sadducees. They only believed in the first five books of the Bible, the, the Torah, as it was called, Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. They only held them as uh, the true words of God. And they were convinced that the the Torah, those five books, had nothing to say about the resurrection. Well, Jesus now draws from the Torah, from the actual very significant account where Moses encountered God and God came to Moses and revealed himself to Moses. Do you remember that story in Exodus chapter 3? Moses met God on this lonely mountain and he saw this side over there, there was a bush burning, but it was not consumed. And he said, I'll go over and have a look at this thing. And so he went over there and then God spoke to him. He said, Moses, take off your sandals. You're in the presence of God. You're standing on holy ground. And then he called Moses to be a prophet. And then with that call came God's promise to lead, that he, through him he would lead God's people out of Egypt, out of slavery, to freedom, to the promised land where, where God had promised Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, his, his forebearers, that they would possess this land. And before he said this, God identified himself in a particular way to Moses. God is the covenant-keeping God, the God of the covenant, the God who had made these everlasting promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And the way he said this was so significant, and this is what Jesus picks up with the Sadducees. I am the God of your father, uh, God said, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God spoke to Moses in the present tense. He didn't say, I was the God of Abraham or of Isaac or of Jacob. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He was telling Moses he was the living God and therefore he is able to save his people. And if they were dead, then uh, God couldn't be their God anymore. And at least he wouldn't use the present tense. But as it is, he told Moses, he is the God of those patriarchs, those fathers. And death is not the end. To God, all are alive, said Jesus. God is the God of the living. And there is Jesus resting his proof of the resurrection on the inspiration of the scriptures, on the full inspiration and the authority of God's word. And it's the same scriptures that the Sadducees held dearly And that's why they haven't got any more questions. That's why they just had to shut up at that point. And that is an application for us, isn't it? That if we want to understand and hear God speaking to us, we need to read his inspired word. 
as the source of truth. Do you want to hear God speak? Study the scriptures. They speak clearly of God, yes. And they speak directly into our lives and our situations. And many of you here listening today will say yes and amen to that. And many who have come to understand the Bible will agree. They not only speak in an authoritative way, but they speak into our very situations. God, just as he spoke to Moses there in that time, at that place, God speaks to us right now in this time and this place to us. God breathes out these words. And, uh, of course, those Words people can just read but not really accept that God is actually talking to them right now. And so, just like the Sadducees, we we read words but that may not change us Uh, and we don't really accept that uh, we, we hear God speaking. And so this is also another uh, aspect of what Jesus is saying. If you want assurance... Listen to God. If you want assurance of God's presence going with you, then listen to his word. And, and this is a, a real challenge for us. How do we think about the future for, for us, for, for me, for you? It's especially important whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. What does the future hold for us? Now here is Jesus talking about the covenant-keeping God. And people will look at the scriptures and say, oh, yeah, they're just great words. You know, it's a nice book and I read it and it doesn't mean a lot to me anymore. They were written 2,000 years ago and it's, I've really moved past that. But these promises were of great importance to those people back then. Why? They believed them and they held on to them. They gave up their, their life where they were in their comfortable place and they moved. They became wanderers. And they drifted from place to place and kept on hanging on to God's promises all through their life, not even seeing many of them come to fruition, but they still believed them. None of them possessed fully Canaan, the land that God had promised them, where they died. None of them saw the offspring like the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore, so numerous. And none of them really saw the the Messiah, the Saviour that God ultimately promised way back from Genesis right through, that he would give for the nations the promised saviour. And yet many of the promises, they did see some answers. They did see uh, God's, um, God's providence, God's solution, God's way of answering these, these promises. They came to uh, realise that God was faithful. God was true to his word. And when we look at the Bible, some people have worked out there are maybe 7,000 or 8,000 promises in the Bible. And we can look and some of them were fulfilled in that very minute or that very hour or that very day or week or year. Or maybe it was a hundred years or maybe it was a thousand years. But yet God keeps his promises and answers them. He is the God who raises the dead and his life continues on. We see that, what Jesus is saying. And everyone who comes to God through faith in Christ has this great promise that we'll be raised to life and we'll go on 
in our relationships with God, but much more fully, of course, will be changed so that we can glorify God and enjoy him forever. It does depend on the resurrection. And as the passage that Ruth read, although I probably... Uh, she, she read a little bit more than I, I probably should have said, although that's what, she, that's what I told her. There's, there's this witness of the historical data. There in the 1 Corinthians, Paul outlines that Jesus Christ died and he, he was raised again and he was seen by many, even 500. And God has promised that he'll come again. These are the promises given by God. Some have come true and some are still to come true and be fulfilled. Uh, Are are those enough to convince people? Well, if you're perhaps still looking and searching as to what Christianity and what being a Christian means, perhaps that's not enough. And yet it would help us people to learn. Just... um, This year before Easter, there was an online survey done of a 1,000 Australians by McCrindle Research. And and, and just this one question was asked, did Jesus rise from the dead? Well, the interesting thing about the results of that is 48%, that's nearly half of all the people that responded in this uh, survey, didn't know or thought it could be possible. 48% didn't know that Jesus rose from the dead. 24% said, yes, they were certain he did rise from the dead. And 28% said, well, he didn't, or they were very sceptical, he did. But what I'm saying, and don't miss this point, that people generally don't know. That is, they're without that knowledge. They're agnostic. They don't know. Rather than they don't want to know and be sceptical. So I want you to bear that in mind. For the Christian If you lack knowledge, that can be corrected. Read your Bible. Take in the words of God. Seek to live in view of God's word. But for those who are still searching, for those who are not sure, it's not just about knowledge, but also seeing the proof, isn't it? We want proof. Grasping the reality of life beyond the grave. And certainly there is the witness of those that rose in those days. As Paul said, 500 saw And they're still alive. They haven't fallen asleep. Most of them haven't fallen asleep. And we can read the accounts of how lives were changed, how the Apostle Paul changed his life. He was a persecutor of the church. How Peter and James and John, their lives changed. But those that want some visible proof today, where is that? Where are those of us who are Christians? We can testify that God has changed our life. We are testimony that we live differently to those around us. Again, coming back to McCrindle, Mark McCrindle, he published some research uh, going back some four years ago. This was a a bigger research thing. And the interesting thing in that, out of that, this, this came that the number one factor that attracted people to Christianity was observing someone actually living out genuinely their faith. Faith love and hope being lived out, just as Abraham, Isaac and Jacob believe God. So people today believe God and they seek to live it out. Which brings me to this final point, that we not only need to understand there's a great change 
in the age to come. And there's a continuity. But also there's this big reality that there's much more to life. And life is more than food and drink and clothing, finding having a place to stay. And there's an importance for the church. There's an importance for every one of us. And I think it's really hard to talk about, you know. I think it's really hard to talk to others, particularly, uh, especially family, about the future life for some reason or or having a resurrection body. It's just something we don't tend to talk about, especially if we know that a, a close member of the family is drawing closer to death. You know, it's... If you want to sort of uh, change the discussion around the dinner table, maybe maybe the Christmas dinner or something like that, you you want to change the discussion, then just bring up the subject. Hey, let's all talk about dying now. Come on. I'm sure you'll get some real good looks. Uh, hang on, I don't want you to misunderstand me now. Not you dying now. <laughs> Not just yet, but but let's talk about what happens after that. And people still give you some strange looks. <laughs> oh, you're after my money, are you? <laughs> it's one way to finish lunch early, that's for sure. <clears throat> but with people, you know, you love dearly, we should be able to talk about it, even though it's hard, to have an open discussion on God's revealed plans. And I know it's hard, and that's my experience, and yet there's so much to talk about, isn't it? You read passages like... like, like Romans 8, it's the cosmic dimensions of the resurrection life. The whole creation groans awaiting for the freedom from its bondage, from corruption, to the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Just, you know, it it just blows you away what Paul's saying there. And not only the creation, but we ourselves are the first fruits of the Spirit. Oh, that's one sermon. There's another sermon. What about the day of the Lord, the dead rising first? Regardless of whether we're living or dying, we all are together meeting with the Lord. What a glorious day that will be. And and hearing and seeing and not just imagining what God has prepared for those who love him. You know, there's so much to talk about, but it is hard. And I'm speaking to anyone that's listening now who's saying, well, why would anyone follow Jesus in the path of being a Christian? What do you have that I don't have? Because I've got everything in life that you have and I don't see it makes any difference in my life. And I want to talk to you. I want to say that Christians are no different in just about every respect except this, that we've made Jesus, we've, we've come to know Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. We've come to know him personally. That's the difference. And we've come to know that he gives us life. It's not something that we've earned. It's not something we've achieved. He's made the difference in our life because he's given it to us. It's a free gift. And if you're here this morning saying, yes, I know that, the Son of God, yes, I sort of read that, I accept that, yes, he died and he was raised again, yes, he's coming again, that doesn't make you a Christian, just saying that. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. It's again, it's the personal pronouns. I am the way and the truth and the life. He's saying, I am the resurrection. I am your resurrection. I am the way that anyone gets resurrected. 
my resurrection is yours. I've been raised for you. The Son of God, here's the personal prayer, was born for me. The Son of God, he died for me. The Son of God, he was raised for me. And he ascended and he was glorified for me that I may be glorified. That's the essence of Christianity. You have to make it personal. Paul says in Romans 4.25, Jesus Christ was raised for our justification to make us right. And you're not a Christian and you don't understand Christianity if you just understand that Jesus was raised. He was raised for our salvation. Well, someone says, how could that be? I know he died for us. He died to pay for our sins. How could he be raised for our salvation? What did that for us? Well, here's what did it for us. Just imagine, you're going into a big store, a a big store like Bunnings or like Kmart, and, and you buy something in that store. And then you decide after you buy that something that you want to look around a bit more. Now, the important thing, because you've bought that thing, the important thing is you have a receipt because you know there's people in plain clothes wandering around those stores or at the door and they're looking for people who have got things in their possession and they're going to ask you, did you really buy it? And that's why it's important that you have a receipt because that's your way of guaranteeing that you'll never have to pay for it again, ever. And so if you're walking along and out the door and one of those plain clothes people say to you, wait a minute, have you paid for that? What do you do? You straight away whip out your receipt with confidence and you defy them and you pull it out and you say, look at this, look at this, I'd never have to pay for this again. It's mine. And what does that person say to you? All right, you're free to go. Off you go. Now, some listening today don't believe you can ever be free from your sins. Some believe that you can't be free from your failures, your inadequacies, and you are teaching yourself this, that you never get over the pain, that always there's someone pointing out this to you, the finger and saying, you have to pay, you have to pay. You'll never forget it. You'll never forget it. You have to live with it. But God says, no, on the cross, Jesus paid. I've given you a receipt. What's the receipt? How do you know Jesus paid for you in full, completely and totally? How do you know Jesus paid? How do you know? You know he was raised from the dead. That's your receipt. And it says in big bold words, paid in full for your life. And for anyone that will look at your life, and, and, and the account of your life, God said that payment is sufficient. You never have to pay again. You're free. Do you understand that? Do you want that receipt? Look at the resurrection. That's why it's so important. That's God's way of saying you never have to pay for those things again. Would you live for him? I am the resurrection means that he gives you the victory. He gives you the life and the power over death. Let's pray. Lord God, we we do thank you that Jesus came for our sakes, suffered the penalty we deserved 
freely gave up his life for us, for me, for you, and rose again to show that we have the receipt. We have the freedom now to go on and live forever. Oh, Lord, just help us understand this and live for him. We pray in Jesus' name. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.